Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. Welcome back to the Embodied Faith Podcast. Today we're asking something like, is joy more important than love? I know the commandment, the greatest commandment is to love God and love others, but what if joy is even more central than that? And how does joy fit into our political landscape of outrage and cynicism, uh, as well as the difficulties of everyday life? So Sid and I are going to be talking about the centrality of joy. As always, uh, we are produced by Grassroots Christianity, which is seeking to grow faith for everyday people. And this is a podcast looking to integrate neuroscience, spiritual formation, uh, and all things in and around our faith. <laughs> As always, Sid is thoroughly impressed by the way I introduced these uh, podcast episodes. She was laughing during the music because I was just stumbling along. But that's because we're doing some new things. And this is the segment that is new where we talk about the different announcements happening in and around the embodied faith environment. Spontaneously, with very little scripting. In fact, I didn't even know that your question was going to be, is joy more central than love? I'm not sure about that question. <laughs> we'll have to talk about there that. There we go. Well, first of all, uh, we are launching season three. I just didn't even let Sid know that this is going to be the flagship season three episode also. See, because I'm learning right along with We are just bountiful listening. when it comes to communication between the two of us. But this is, and there is a new thing, which is you can support... Um, embodied faith uh, now there's a couple ways to do that and they'll be in the show notes but the primary way is to join the Substack and to join a, a, a monthly or an annual subscription at eight dollars a month or eighty dollars for the entire year and that helps us feel the love frankly but also to kind of cover the cost for hosting and the equipment and different things uh, that it takes to uh, run this and um, and then hopefully it'll help us to expand kind of what we're doing and give more time to the podcast. So that'll be in the show notes. You can find us on Substack under Embodied Faith. And then I just recently put out a new freebie. Um, it's just a PDF and we're sort of going along with that theme of 30 minutes or less for busy, busy people. So um, how can we actually tend to our spiritual lives in 30 minutes or less, which I know seems a little ironic. Like if you're too busy, how do you actually also tend to your spiritual life? But I'm thinking about when I was a young mom and, you know, I had little kids, it's like, you can't set aside an hour, hour and a half for deep introspective work. Um, but what can you do with a half an hour? And so there's a new uh, freebie, just decluttering your soul, sort of going along with the theme of spring cleaning. Um, what's one thing that you could do to declutter your soul in about 30 minutes? And so you can look for that on uh, my website, sidholesclaw.com, or you can also find it in the show notes on the, in the app. Show notes. So it'll be linked I, down right yeah, there. I, you can always find things in the, the show notes. And the last thing that we're super excited about is we're currently in the midst of a six weeks 
uh, learning cohort on uh, learning to attach to God beyond avoidance and anxious spiritualities. So it's going great. We're getting great feedback. So please join the wait list. If you're interested in that, we'll probably run that during the summer, maybe in July. So please, uh, if that's something that you missed or weren't able to do, uh, but still want to make sure to join the wait list, which is there. Yeah. And I just want to say we're having a great time and people are interacting in such cool ways. Like it's a really cool community. It's not just us. It's, it's what people are bringing to each other as well. It's really fun. And now for more things that I didn't tell Sid about. Uh, this is a quote from Jürgen Moltmann. Uh, so this is, she's going to respond to this just as you listeners and viewers are going to respond to this too. This is a quote from your uh, theologian, Jürgen Moltmann uh, from an essay called Christianity, a religion of joy. He asks, how can we laugh and rejoice when there are so many tears to be wiped away when new tears are being added every day? And he talks about the central tension of Christianity is Christianity is uniquely, this is a quote, uniquely a religion of joy. Faith is living in the feasts of Christianity. And yet the universal symbol of Christianity is a cross, the symbol of pain, suffering, and cruel death. How do these things go together? That's actually Moltmann's question. How do these things go together? So that's what we're talking about today. What is the place of joy in our faith and our walk with Jesus, and is it even more central than love? Well, those are good questions that Moltmann raises, and I think they probably echo a lot of the questions I hear people ask in spiritual direction and in coaching of just sort of like, um, how do I find joy in the midst of what's going on in this? I mean, there's a lot. When you look around in the world today, there is a lot uh, that doesn't feel very joyful, that doesn't feel very bright, that doesn't feel happy. Um, so I think that's a really good question to be asking that, you know, how do we find joy if Christianity is to be a religion of joy, then, you know, and living in the Christian feast. I like the way that he puts that. Mm -hmm. Like, um, Well, right now we just finished, you know, we're in the, the just finished the feast of Easter and right. Pentecost is coming up and those are joyous experiences that are commanded. And we're going to be getting to this question of, can you command joy? But, Joy is difficult. So uh, let's talk about the resistance to joy. So the first yeah. thing, why it's difficult to get into joy or why it's maybe difficult to maybe even well, think of a theology of a joy. Things like happy clappy. You say that often when you think about like. Yeah, people have this sense that like joy um, is like childish, uh, that joy is like for the immature, right. that the sober the reality. Yeah, the sober realities of of life and existence in our political milieu amidst global warming and exiting a pandemic and violence against all sorts of people, oppression, slavery, that, you know, what is the place for joy? Isn't that some people might even call that spiritual bypassing. You are using yeah. a spiritual word to numb yourself to the pain of others. Uh, that's terrible. Yeah. I think even, you know, there's a sense that um, you know, joy is sort of this privileged place to be like, you can only be a joyful person if you're, but I'm, isn't even as I'm saying that I'm disagreeing with myself. <laughs> oh, go ahead. So we'll say that one side. So joy well, is a think, privileged you know, thing. There, there could be joy is a privileged thing. Like you only get to be joyful because your life is not full of oppression and hardship. and mm. suffering, and So that's why you can be a joyful person. But on the other end of that, there are plenty of people who are suffering deeply and still full of joy. I'm just thinking, you know, yes. we, we just got back from um, the Missy Alliance gathering in Chicago. And I just remember um, Natasha Strunk Robinson spoke one evening and talked about her experience of growing up in the black church 
where, you know, the whole community was experiencing suffering and oppression. And at the same time, they were, as she called it, you know, giving a joyful shout. Mm. Um, Amen. And so, you know, creating, you know, celebrating and experiencing joy together, even in the midst of oppression and saying that it's the people who have suffered most who know most how to rejoice. So let's, so that gets into where we want to go. So great transition, which is, it seems like people have a confusion about what joy is. Yeah. A lot of times we think of joy merely as happiness, uh, as circumstances going well. That's why some people might say, oh, joy is a privileged kind of emotion. Um, that it's naive because it means you're blind to what's really exactly. going on in the world. So, but that, that is more, you know, being, using joy uh, as a defense mechanism is not joy either. Uh, and then confusing joy and happiness is where that, that problem comes in. So joy is not um, circumstantial material circumstances. They do all sorts of study that certainly like happiness has something to do with your material um, access to material, um, not wealth, I don't want to say, but resources, your needs. And so when your material needs are covered, then certainly you're more joyful. But then they've also found that when you have an excessive amount of material uh, uh, possessions, you actually become less happy. So, but that's another conversation. So why don't you, I'm going to hand it over to you, Sid. What is a better way of thinking about joy if it's not just happiness? Yeah, well, I know that um, the way that I learned to think about joy from Jim Wilder and Carl Lehman many years ago was the idea that joy is the experience of being with someone who is glad to be with you. And they were talking about that from, you know, like a neurological perspective of the way that infants develop attachment with their caregivers of, you know, when all goes well, a baby has been expected for a long time, anticipated, right? Mother is pregnant for nine months. And if the baby is, you know, sought after and wanted, then when that baby is finally born, I mean, I'm thinking of friends who just had a baby last week and the joy that they have and like, oh, we finally get to hold the baby, look at the baby, smile at the baby, like the baby's here. And so there's a lot of gladness on the faces of caregivers, family, friends when a baby arrives. And that, you know, is meant to continue. And as the baby experiences these faces of gladness um, throughout their early childhood, then that builds the part of the brain that experiences joy. And, you know, that that the, Jim Wilder also says, you know, that that part of the brain that experiences joy is in the same territory as the part of you that experiences a sense of self. And so that that almost like when you experience joy in gladness of other people to be in your presence and you experience that, you know who you are and that builds joy. And so in that sense, joy is very relational. It's either relational in the current moment or it's all of those accumulated memories of other people being glad to be with you that then helps you to be joyful even in difficult times, even in suffering, even in times that are really scary because you have that built implicit experience that there are people who are glad to be with me, even if they're mm. not with me right now, mm. you know, and that extends with God too, because God is always glad to be with us. And if you haven't heard Jeff and I wrote a book about that, <laughs> um, called, you know, does God really <clears throat> like me discovering the God who wants to be with us? And it's that God enjoys our presence and always has, and has designed all of creation um, so that he can be with us. And if he wants to be with us that badly, he must do more than just tolerate us. He must actually enjoy us. And so that sense that joy is a relational thing, it's not just a circumstantial thing. So you can be happy all by yourself because things are going well, because circumstances are good, 
but you can't be joyful if you've never had an experience of being with people who are glad to be with you or knowing the gladness of God to mm-hmm. be with you. Yeah. You want to add anything yeah. to that or? Well, just a little bit about the, the amplifying joy and returning joy is a lot of times we think of when it comes to little children that were uh, certainly infants that the the goal is just to minimize distress is that, you know, they're hungry. Now you have to feed them or they're tired. You need to put them to sleep. They're cold or they're hot. They got startled. You need to calm them down. And so it's this idea that the, what the children have are uh, deficiencies that then the caregiver like supplies or provides for or solves or something like that. But actually what the research is showing us that is while all those things are certainly true, that there's actually this need for what is called like amplifying joy mm-hmm. of inputting positive affective states or positive emotional states, positive social, emotional interactions are actually uh, help build the brain more, not just as much, but more than the overcoming of distress. And so this idea of amplifying joy, this is where like peekaboo comes in. This is where joyful smiles come in. This is where like little games start to develop between an infant and their caregivers is the infant wants to experience joy and they're looking for a joy partner. And there's even before words, um, pre-verbally, there's, you know, just such rich, dynamic, complicated interactions that uh, little infants have. And of course that grows then into games with children, you know, and it grows and it, and it takes different forms with adolescence, right? It's complicated. So we're not saying all this is easy, but that is the foundation for kind of the neurological development um, in our minds and our bodies and our nervous systems. And so that idea of amplifying joy, I just think is really important just to kind of um, so just, cling to. Just as a side note, this isn't really in the notes, but we're being spontaneous, right? So yesterday we were worshiping with our um, church community in Chicago where we used to be pastors at, um, and I was just looking at all of these kids in the community who are so much bigger um, than they were the last time we were there. But I was also looking at all of the new children, all the little babies, all little toddlers. And there was a little tiny baby sitting two rows in front of us and the older couple in front of us whose kids are out of the house and grown Um, I just saw them engaging with this little baby over mom's shoulder, just, you know, wanting, like making eye contact and the baby was smiling and, you know, looking away and then looking back and smiling and just the little game that was being played spontaneously. We just get drawn into those kind of interactions. Um, We get drawn to babies and babies are drawn to adult faces. And so just as a side note, it's a wonderful reason to have kids engaged in worship in some way, shape or form, because that's building joy, which then sets our brains to want to connect with others and with God because joy is the foundation of connection as well. Right. Right. And that's why uh, joy is so important. And the kind of the, you know, some of us, I think a lot of times we think of um, joy as this high lofty concept that has so much emotional like intensity. So what are some of the baby steps that we can use to get to joy? And I'm thinking of like gratitude and Thanksgiving. Like how, how would you, if someone was like, Okay, I, like I hear that. I hear joy is important. It's neuroscience, blah, blah, blah. I guess theology, the Bible talks about it too. But like I have a history of trauma or, or whatever reason. I'm in a, a state of depression or chronic depression. How, how can I build joy? I can't like that seems so far away. What would, how would you kind of talk to them about well, that? Well, I think you already named it, right? The gratitude and, a, and gratitude is the big one. And I know that it's hard to feel thankful for things when you're in the midst of a really difficult state of being, you know, but there are still things that we can always rejoice in. There's, there's, um, you know, I woke up this morning, uh, small things like the weather, or I have food to eat today, or I'm still breathing like God gives breath every day. Um, and then also just any 
people in your life that feel at all safe or are at all interested or care at all, or a therapist who is available and has connection or any of that, like savoring those relationships that feel okay. Um, Cause I think a lot, you know, our brains are predisposed to notice the negative and to really dwell on the negative and remember the negative more than the positive. And so it's a way of sort of changing the lens through which the filter, right? It's like, if you're always looking for the negative, you're going to find it all over the place and you're going to remember it. You're going to store it up and it's going to be easy to say, my day is awful and here's why. But if you set yourself in the morning to say, there's got to be something good about this day and I'm determined to find it, then you will find it. There's going to be things Mm -hmm. and they might be tiny and they might be small, but there's going to be little glimmers of things that are good throughout the day, whether it's, you know, someone was kind to me at the grocery store or the line was short at the post office or the person let me merge into traffic without honking. You know I mean? Mm, Like they can be tiny, but they can also be really significant. Like um, this person I really care about reached out to me and sent me a text message, or I had a wonderful conversation with this person, or for a few minutes, I felt completely safe. And those are the kinds of things to really be looking for and keeping track of. And then, you know, on top of that, to build on that, to express effort, like appreciation whenever you can. So if someone does send you a text message, you know, just simply saying, thank you so much for thinking of me. Hmm. Or if you have a good conversation with someone saying, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Thank you so much. Or, you know, if someone does let you merge into traffic, giving them a thankful wave, right? Or, you know, yeah. anything just verbally appreciating is so good for our brains because it helps build that relational joy. And there's like a boomerang effect too when you, so certainly like internal to myself, I'm cataloging my day and the things I can be grateful for and appreciate. And that turns my like relational circuits on, as some people say that brings me closer to joy. But then when you express gratitude to other people, you get that boomerang effect because then their face lights up, their eyes become brighter. And then you, you see that and it comes back to you and that positive, joyful energy then actually lights you up again. And so even if you weren't particularly feeling joyful, having expressed gratitude to, you know, one of your children that maybe you're a little grumpy with sometimes for good reason, I'm sure, you know, but to see that gratitude and the joyfulness kind of, um, circle back to you. And so that's important. That's why this is a relational um, kind of dynamic. Which then also comes into, I know you were going to talk at some point probably about the command to rejoice. Perfect. That's exactly where I was going to go. How does that? So just to wrap it up for people, if we're talking about joy as a, an emotion, uh, as a relational emotion, then how come this is a question that we've had and that you, as you're listening, have, well, then why does the Bible command joy? Doesn't that seem impossible? You can't command and emotion is often how we think of it. So, right. But if we think about it in terms of it being a relational dynamic of a gladness to be with one another, and you think about gratitude and appreciation and expressing appreciation, then that sort of brings it home of like, if the, if the command is to rejoice in the Lord, always again, I say rejoice, right. Then there's this, there's this command to to mindfully and intentionally make the decision to look for the good you know, and I'm thinking of Paul's words in, uh, I'm horrible with references. It's Philippians, right? Where he says, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is. Yeah, that comes that. right yeah. after. That's in the same okay, passage. Good. It's the same passage. So there's the command, right? To to think on these things, to yes. set your mind on the good <clears throat> things so that that's what you're dwelling on, which is going to automatically build appreciation, which is going to build gratitude. 
and then sharing that, like rejoicing with others, appreciating others, sharing our gratitudes and our thankfulness is choosing, making the decision to live in a rejoicing kind of way rather than a grumbling or complaining kind of way. And it's this idea of like choosing to remember that God is with us. So when we look at, you know, we cover this in our book, Does God Really Like Me? A lot. But, you know, if we just look at the book of Matthew, the angels come, you know, and the the, the rejoicing that the angels announce that there will be joy for all, you know, mankind because the Savior is being born. Uh, and he is to be called what? He's to be called Emmanuel, uh, which is God with us. And then at the end, uh, when Jesus says, you know, I have all authority and I, you know, I send you go into all the nations. And the last words of that gospel are, and behold, I will be with you always. And so uh, in the in the gospel of Matthew, you get these bookends of God with us, as we explain, even the whole Bible is really the story of God with us. And so the command to be joyful is to remember that God is with us. Uh, and never so alone. you're never, never alone and, and that God delights in us. And if we remember that God del- is with us and is delighting in us, then that will be uh, the production of joy within us. And so, and the same would be true with something like the fruit of the spirit, uh, as people said, you know, the first three fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Uh, and so the joy, uh, people would say, well, that is not an emotion. That's the fruit of the spirit. And I'd say, well, yeah, that's true because the spirit is given to us, which makes it a lot easier to follow the command to be joyful because we're remembering that. God is with us in the spirit who is producing fruit in us. So it just makes sense that, that the fruit right after joy or right after love would be joy. And so how do these, so back to our central question as we wrap things up. So I said, well, I just want to say too oh, that like a fruit of the spirit is like, yes, the spirit begins the work, but that, that just doesn't, it's not like we can just sit around and say, I want to be more patient and do nothing to try to grow in patience. Or say, I want to be more self-controlled and do nothing to like sort of make ourselves more ready to be more self-controlled. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know it's a fruit right. of the spirit, but it's not just the spirit's work. It takes participation. So I would say in the same way, joy takes participation with the spirit. It's not just going to be an immediate download because... Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, well, that, that could be a whole nother conversation. Well, that's why but, we're doing a podcast on neuroscience informed spiritual formation, right? There are the graces of God. There is the work of God that we have to receive that we're not in control, but there's also a neuroscience of receiving and yeah. openness to it. Not There's things we can learn from neuroscience about our bodies, our nervous systems, about the process of becoming mature, of calming ourselves, all these skills and but abilities. It still all originates in the spirit of God. We uh-huh. can't do it in a self-help kind of way. It's God's gifts that we need to be so. That's how we land this plane. So I asked at the beginning, is joy even more central than love? So the commandments to love, uh, love God and love others, you know, that seems like this, the center of Christianity, which, is, you know, but that's the center of active, like what our discipleship overflows into. But the center uh, of, of how is it that we're able to do that would be something like, and we're not talking about it in this podcast, but like secure attachment and secure attachment is formed through joyful relationships so that then I can spontaneously overflow and love toward God and love toward others. But of course, I know what you're going to say, but that only comes from the fact that God first loved us. And, and then that, God that is love. Yes, that God is love. So it's really a chicken and egg. But our experience, I would just say developmentally, our experience of a joyful encounter is what we experience first. 
even though of course that comes out of a loving attachment that comes okay. from so that comes from how we develop yes so certainly there needs to be a caregiver or someone like god who loves us first who has an attachment love a self-giving or sacrificial love however you want to talk about that but we experience that as joy and then when we are joy-filled people then we can overflow in love for others and when we're joy starved then that's where you know, shame comes in. That's where defensive mechanisms come in. Things we would call sin, sinful responses that keep us from loving right, other people. Right, because state of self-protection rather than self-giving. Right, protection instead of connection. Right. Okay, I see where you're coming from. <clears throat> in that as, a ba- like as infants, we need to experience joy first in order to understand love and be able to love. And maybe even infants in Christ, maybe conversion. But I would say like, I don't know. I still like it, it is. I understand where you're coming from and I understand that. And that makes a lot of sense because joy really is the fuel mm-hmm. that love is fueled by. And the experience in early of love. relationships. And God is love. Amen. And we would have no joy if there was no love. So. All right. Well, we will keep the conversation going about the central the place. No, when do we ever? No, that's all right. <laughs> so any last statements before we uh, before we hit the end of this? None. None. All right. Well, just to review some of the announcements, please um, help us continue to make this podcast and make it more often uh, and with quality of both of our interviews and these reflection episodes like we're doing just now by supporting us. Um, There's a couple ways to do that, but the quickest and easiest way would be to follow us on the Substack account to join at uh, the $8 a month. kind of subscription fee and it's in the show notes but you will also get uh, we're going to be writing a new book soon so you'll probably be getting advanced access to that if you're a paid subscriber Uh, i have some academic articles that i'm in the uh, the process i'm writing right now so we'll give you advanced access to that as well as every once in a while we'll do kind of some special episodes that you will have access to as a paid subscriber also there is the um and you can also make requests of things you want us to talk about that's right that's right. And then there's the decluttering uh, your soul for busy people uh, download, which you can get as well as signing up for the attaching to God um, waitlist. Please share, like, and subscribe this podcast wherever you listen to them. And we thanks will for listening. We know you have a lot of things to do. So thanks for taking the time. Mm-hmm.